Hey everybody, how's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense. Sort of. See, I don't like to brag, but I fucked up pretty bad. You know how in 80s and 90s movies there would often be a plot device where there's a really important videotape. Either it's got, like, somebody's wedding on it or an important piece of information or evidence. And then somebody would accidentally record over it. And then that's the kickoff point to all the shenanigans and whatever. And when you watch this, you think, well, who the fuck would record over a videotape like that? It's me. I would. And I did. Only it wasn't a videotape. It was this week's episode. Corey and I record our conversations where we talk about these comic books about a week and a half before I release the episode. And I fucked up and recorded next week's conversation over this week's conversation. So I kind of don't have a show. At least not the kind that I would normally present. I considered trying to re-record our conversation and release this episode a week late. I decided against doing that. We did that once before, and it came out okay, but it felt kind of weird and inorganic to try to recreate the spontaneity of a conversation we'd already had, and I just didn't want to do that again. But because we are in the middle of a five-part Teen Titans story arc, I don't just want to skip this issue either. I mean, I wouldn't want to do that even if we weren't in the middle of a story arc, but I especially don't want to do it because we are. So, instead of a normal episode where I would do a synopsis and then Corey and I would have a discussion about the comic book, I'm gonna do kind of a weird thing with this one, where I'm gonna read a prepared previously in section, and then I'm going to read through the comic book with you, summarize what's happening, and give my thoughts on it as they come up. And also try to give what I remember Corey's thoughts on the issue as being. It's a similar format to the one that Lisa and I use on What the Duck, a podcast most foul, but with the W, because he's a duck, that's the full name of the show. Only, it's just going to be me. So, I haven't done this before as a solo thing, and it might be kind of weird. But I'm gonna do my best to put out an entertaining show for you under these circumstances, and I hope that you like it. And if you don't, maybe just pretend that you do anyway, because, uh, yeah, I'm feeling kind of weird about this. So, without any further ado, let's, uh, do this? New Teen Titans, number 51, January 1989. Who is Wonder Girl? Part 2. Secrets Behind the Cosmos. Written by Marv Wolfman and George Perez. Drotted by George Perez. Inkted by Bob McLeod. Lettered by John Costanza. Colored by Adrienne Roy. And edited by Barbara Kiesel. New Teen Titan Roll Call. Wonder Girl. Nightwing, Beast Boy, Raven, Cyborg, Starfire, Jericho, and Danny fucking Chase. Previously in DC Comics. 63 human Earth years ago, Robert Koeniger wrote a story about Wonder Woman remembering her childhood when she was called Wonder Girl. 
Seven years later, operating under his long-held principle that continuity was something that happened to other people, Bob Haney wrote a story where Wonder Girl showed up alongside Wonder Woman and joined a new team of teen heroes, which she suggested be called the Teen Titans. Hooray! Four years later, a young writer named Marv Wolfman decided that maybe Wonder Girl could use a non-superhero name and an origin. So he wrote a backup story where readers learned that Wonder Girl had been an orphaned toddler who Wonder Woman rescued from a fire and gave superpowers using a powerful, all-purpose plot device called the Purple Ray. The Amazons raised Wonder Girl as one of their own, but had neglected to give her a name, which seems like a pretty significant oversight, but what are you gonna do? At the end of the story, Wonder Girl chose the name Donna Troy for herself, more or less at random. Over the years, the Titans broke up and reformed at least twice, but Wonder Girl's presence was one of the few constants in an otherwise fluctuating lineup. Fifteen years after taking his first crack at giving Donna a backstory, Wolfman decided to fill in a few more details, adding the fact that prior to being rescued from the fire by Wonder Woman, Donna had been orphaned as an infant, adopted by a nice young couple, then given backup for adoption when her adopted father died in a car accident. She was then stolen from the orphanage by a greedy young couple who intended to sell her to the highest bidder. This couple died in the fire that Wonder Woman rescued Donna from. Then Wolfman went on to write a huge DC crossover event called Crisis on Infinite Earths, which rewrote DC continuity in such a way that Wonder Woman was now considered a brand new character who was just leaving Paradise Island for the first time and therefore had never met Donna before, let alone rescued her from a fire. Donna's origin was once again shrouded in mystery. Or at least it was until... Previously in New Titans 50. The gang had just returned home to their T-shaped skyscraper and were yelling at Danny for being a dipshit. Hooray! Then a whole bunch of murderous aliens popped out of a weird floating metal sphere that Danny had found and brought home with him. What a dipshit! The aliens zapped Wonder Girl with their space lasers and nearly killed her, so Raven teleported Donna away to safety. The rest of the gang started murdering the shit out of the aliens. Then a mysterious lady with stars in her hair showed up and used some nonsense magic to kill the rest of the aliens. Hooray? The lady then demanded to speak to Donna Troy. The Titans asked why and the lady spent a lot of time explaining that she didn't have time to explain. Just as she was finishing this non-explanation explanation, Raven and Donna teleported back. Raven used her nonsense magic to cure Donna's wounds. Once she was healed up, the stranger again insisted on talking with the continuity-conflicted crime fighter. At Donna's insistence, the gang relented and allowed the conversation to take place. Much to everyone's surprise, rather than having a traditional chat, the two women communicated telepathically. The stranger informed Donna that all the memories she had from between the ages of 3 and 13 were complete bullshit, which had been total recalled into her brain for her own good. All of her memories from before the fire were real, and all of her memories since joining the Titans were real, but everything in between? Made up bullshit. Donna took this news pretty well, all things considered, but when she and the stranger broke telepathic contact, the stranger collapsed on the floor and appeared to have suddenly aged several hundred years. Raven tried to help the stranger, but even her mystical nonsense powers were incapable of curing old. 
The suddenly super senior stranger introduced herself as Phoebe, the ancient Greek titan of the moon, and told the gang that without Wonder Girl's help, the ancient Greek titans would all die. Gadzooks! What will the titans do with the phantasm-looking metal sphere that the killer aliens hopped out of? Once her new origin is revealed, will Wonder Girl have any connection to Wonder Woman? And will the rapidly aging Phoebe survive long enough to be reunited with the rest of the ancient titans? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so they give it back to Danny to play with. Damn it, titans. Sort of. They still never met, but I think Wonder Girl is now technically Wonder Woman's aunt? And, sadly, no. Her ancient body gives out after delivering nearly 20 solid pages of exposition. I can identify. My own ancient body nearly gave out after reading 20 solid pages of exposition. Okay, so before we get started, wanted to point out a couple of things. First of all, I'm going to try my best to be fair about this comic, but Corey and I disagreed wildly about the quality of this book. He recognized most of the same faults that I found with it, but was able to look past them, and he really liked this comic. I fucking hated it. But maybe spending some more time with it, I'll come around to his way of thinking. Let's see. So, to start off, we got a really nice cover. Good start. It is Phoebe's ancient hands holding up a drawing of Wonder Girl and the rest of the Titans standing behind it looking shocked. It's really nicely drawn, but it's in a very different style than we're used to seeing on the cover of a comic book. The last issue was like this, too. I'm not sure if we mentioned it, but... I don't know exactly what it is. There's a quality to the drawing that makes it look more like the cover of a role-playing game or something. It is by George Perez and a painter named John Stracuzzi, who is probably best known for painting the covers to the Infinity Gauntlet series in the 90s. I don't think he did that much work in comic books other than that, though. Getting into the book proper, we get the title page. Which, as I mentioned, it is called Who is Wonder Girl Chapter 2 Secrets Behind the Cosmos. Secrets Behind the Cosmos sounds like it's one of those, like, news of the weird TV shows that was on a lot in the 90s. There was one, I don't remember exactly what it was called, but there was a part that Corey and I quote to each other a lot where the news anchor turns to camera and says very dramatically after doing a story about the Dalai Lama, By the way, Dalai Lama? means oceans of wisdom. Like it's this huge twist ending. And then there's a music stinger and it cuts to commercial. Anyway, the Titans are all gathered around this high-tech hospital bed that Phoebe's lying in, and she's struggling to fill Donna in on her backstory, but she knows that she's fading fast. It's a beautifully drawn scene. George Perez's art in this is very, very good. But... In the corner of the page, we see that Danny Chase is sitting on the fucking floor playing with that goddamn phantasm ball. Fucking, the last time he had it, killer aliens popped out of it and tried to murder everyone, specifically Donna, and then when they're done with it, they just toss it back to him. What the fuck, guys? That moment right there was enough to earn Cyborg, my 
Beast Boy for this issue. In the last issue, Cyborg was the last person to hold that little phantasm ball, and apparently he decided to give it back to Danny. Bad move, Cyborg. Donna busts out the picture of herself from the cover of the issue that I guess she fished out of Phoebe's pocket and is like, what the fuck is up with this? And Phoebe's like, oh, that's a picture of you that Creus drew. You were so proud when we hung it up with pictures of Gaia and Uranus. Okay, so a few things about that. First of all, Uranus. <laughs> Uranus. And B, this is a kind of minor thing, but in the last issue, that picture was described as a photograph. And now, if it's a plot point that it wasn't a photograph, that it was a drawing, it's not a great sign that this story is going to have the kind of internal consistency that I was hoping for. Like I say, it's a minor point, but it is a point. The Titans are pretty concerned that Phoebe's going to die before she can finish her exposition, but fortunately, Jericho has a bright idea. It's a nonsense idea, but that doesn't mean it's not going to work. He figures that if he can hop inside of her body using his weird creepy powers, he can somehow, I don't know, yell at her organs and tell them to keep working for a while. Dick is like, you sure you want to do this, buddy? Because if the old lady dies while you're inside her, then probably you die too. Which I think is a new wrinkle in Jericho's powers, but you know what? Okay. So Jericho hops into Phoebe, and the plan kind of works. She's alive enough to keep telling her story, but Cyborg keeps hovering by the control panel for the hospital bed or whatever, and looking at the monitor and being like, I don't know, guys. Seems like she's probably going to die pretty soon. So I think I get what they're doing with this subplot, which is trying to infuse some dramatic tension into what is essentially, as I said earlier, about 20 pages of straight-up exposition. When I was talking about the comic with Corey earlier, I described it as, it's like if the opening scroll for Star Wars went on for two-thirds of the movie and, like, described the plots for all three of the prequels in it. But introducing the subplot with Jericho is like if they were doing that, but they kept cutting to the guy typing out the opening scrawl and being like, I don't know, my hand might cramp up pretty soon, might not be able to finish typing this. It's like, yeah, I guess it introduces a little more dramatic tension, but also it's just highlighting to me how much exposition we're getting. So it doesn't really work for me. That being said, the panel where Joey hops into Phoebe's body is beautifully drawn. I think it was both Corey and my choice for favorite panel. You get ghost Joey drawn in white outlines uh, superimposed over the image of Donna being really concerned over Phoebe's bed as Joey hops into her, and it's just really nicely done. Anyway... Phoebe launches into her exposition and decides to start her story at the beginning. And by the beginning, I literally mean the creation of the Earth. So yeah, we're gonna be here a while. So Phoebe gives a brief recap of her version of the ancient Greek creation myth. 
where first you get the Earth Mother Gaia, and then she creates Uranus, and then she marries Uranus, and then <laughs> Uranus, and then she and Uranus have a bunch of kids. And those kids are the ancient Greek Titans. Now, here's where her version starts to differ from what I read in Edith Hamilton and Dolaire when I was a kid. And I get that as a Titan herself, maybe a little bit of an unreliable narrator on this, but I get the impression we're supposed to take this story more or less at face value. Maybe I'm wrong about that. But in her version, the Titans were totally rad and everything was super chill when they were running things. In the stuff that I read when I was growing up, the ancient Titans were a bunch of dicks. So, slight discrepancy there. In both versions, though, Uranus is a real piece of work. <laughs> Uranus. He sees his kids and are like, oh, these guys are probably going to try to kill me. Better murder them. But the head Titan, Cronus, too quick for him, he murders his dad before his dad can murder him. Hooray? From the perspective of this book, at least, I think hooray. So the 12 Titans pair off in kind of brother-sister-husband-wife teams, which, creepy, but it's ancient Greece, what are you going to do? Cronus and Rhea are like the head honcho titans. Oceanus and Tethys run the oceans. Iapetus and Themis are in charge of justice. And uh, just pointing out, Iapetus, just been born? Already balding and with gray hair. Because if you're going to be in charge of justice, you better be an old white dude. Creus and Numasin are the titans in charge of memory. Which raises kind of an interesting point, that they have a god of memory on their roster, but when they send someone out to restore someone's memory, they send the goddess of the moon. Interesting division of labor. Hyperion and Thea are in charge of the sun, and Phoebe, who we've met, and Coius are the titans of the moon. Now, we've met the ancient Greek titans in this comic book before, both in this series and in the original New Teen Titans series. But what this comic posits is, no, we didn't. This is a reboot of the Titans. So different dudes than the assholes that were in charge of a publishing industry and kidnapped Lilith and tried to hypnotize and kidnap Donna. I mean, technically, these guys did kidnap Donna and I guess kind of hypnotized her too. But these ones did it when she was younger and for her own good. So, there you have the ancient Greek titans. Totally benevolent, and while they were running things, the Earth was totally awesome. The end. Nah, just kidding, that's not the end. Because then, they had kids, and that totally ruined everything. See, those kids were what we think of as the traditional Greek pantheon. You know, your Zeus, your Hephaestus, Hera, Aphrodite, Artemis... Poseidon, Ares, the rest. You know, the Greek gods. And they turned on the Titans for pretty much no reason. Zeus killed his dad Cronus, banished the rest of the Titans from Earth, and threw them into space. Huh. Now, I'm no Zeus apologist. That guy was a real piece of crap. But by the version of mythology that I read... Phoebe seems like she's glossing over some pretty salient details here. The main one being that Cronus thought that his kids were going to kill him, so he ate them all. His wife slash sister Rhea was like, 
Oh, rather he didn't need Zeus, this kid seems pretty rad. So she hid him and switched him out for a rock, and Cronus was such a dipshit that he ate a rock and thought it was his son. So, not really father of the year material there for a couple of reasons. Then Zeus did a training montage, came back, killed his dad, uh, and cut him open and let his brothers and sisters out, and then, you know, married one of them, and it's a whole thing. Ancient Greece, am I right? Now, in the Greek myths, that's when the rest of the gods banded together and rebelled against the Titans and locked them up in Tartarus for all eternity. But, as I said, in this version, the Titans got thrown into space. Except for Cronus, who's dead now. The rest of the Titans landed on this tiny moon in a distant galaxy, which they decided to call New Cronus. Which is a nice gesture, I guess. Now, New Cronus is totally desolate and pretty much beat to shit. It's a real fixer-upper of a moon. But they got to work and they turned it into a replica, basically, of ancient Greece. So, good for them. Now, here's where shit gets shitty. They're like, you know, this is kind of like ancient Greece, but you know what it's missing? Ancient Greeks to worship us. So they head down to the big old planet that their moon orbits and find that it is inhabited by some green humanoid aliens. And they're like, great, let's impose our ancient Greek culture upon these guys and, quote, civilize them, unquote. Yeah. So we got about a page-long colonization montage of the ancient titans subjugating the native population of this planet and trying to get them to behave like ancient Greeks. Now, Phoebe does acknowledge that this was a mistake, but the reason she thinks it was a mistake is because the natives of the planet were too, quote, primitive to appreciate the civilization that they were sharing with them. This is a description that is made shittier later on when we find out the name of the planet that they are, quote, civilizing, unquote. Anyway, for a while things are going well with their colonization, but then Rhea gets lonely. See, since Zeus killed Cronus, she's the only Titan that isn't married to one of her siblings. So she pops down to the planet and fucks a whole bunch of the aliens there. She pops out some alien demigods, and they all get into wars with each other and end up really fucking up this planet pretty bad. They busted up all the stuff that the Titans had forced them to build and decided they didn't want to worship the Titans anymore. The Titans were pretty bummed out about that, so they hopped back to New Cronus and were like, Fine, no more demigods. That's where we messed up. Right. The problem wasn't the colonization, it was the race mixing. Good call, guys. So, they're all hanging out on New Cronus, but they still got a problem, because Rhea is still lonely. And she wants some kids. Gotta say, Rhea, seems like maybe you're not cut out for parenthood. The last two batches of kids that you had kinda tried to murder you. I'd maybe take a hint, but no. That is not the Titan way. Rhea wants to be a mom, so she's gonna be one. So what Rhea does is 
she splits her soul 12 ways, then sends each soul fragment to a different section of the universe to find a recently orphaned child, imbue it with godlike powers, and bring it back to New Cronus. You see where this is headed? Because Donna does. We get a brief break in the exposition. Donna's like, oh shit, that's who rescued me from the fire. Danny fucking Chase puts down his phantasm ball for a second and is like, gee Donna, you look like you swallowed Roger Rabbit. Which was obviously what Corey and I both chose as our timestamp, but also, did somebody eat Roger Rabbit in that movie? Because I really don't remember that. Cyborg's like, I don't know you guys. Looks like Phoebe's probably gonna die soon. I sure hope she has time to finish her story. So Phoebe goes back to her story. The Titans decide to call the orphans that Rhea has rescued the Titan Seeds, which is weird. And Donna is indeed one of those Titan Seeds. The kids get brought back to New Cronus, which the ancient Titans have fixed up real nice. Each one of them is named after a different ancient Greek city that used to worship the Titans. So that's why Donna Troy decided to name herself Donna Troy. It was a memory that she had of the fact that her name used to just be Troy. There's another kid named Idalium, there's a kid named Xanthi, and there's one named Sparta, more on her later. Presumably there are eight others as well, but those are the only names that we get. So the ancient titans think that these titan seeds are awesome. They love the fuck out of them, they treat them real good, they educate the shit out of them, and they teach them to use their powers with humility and responsibility, which none of them seem to see the irony in. The Titan Seeds have these lessons drilled into their heads for a little bit over a decade while they are raised on New Cronus. Their minds and bodies are trained to peak mental and physical perfection. Then it's time for phase number two of the Titans plan. And I call this phase number two not only because it is the second phase, but also because it is shit. The Titans gather the Titan seeds and have a big meeting and are like, okay, here's the deal. Now that we have spent a decade educating you and teaching you lessons about responsibility, we're going to erase your memories and send you back to your home planets. One of the titans, probably Iapetus, I think, is like, we want you to see what it's like to be immortal, so we're gonna send you back to your planets and let you grow up among them so that, you know, you'll grow up having humility. But we don't want you to think you're better than them when we do that, so we're gonna erase your memories because of that. Okay, if you're gonna do that, one, you ought to erase their powers, too, or they're still going to think they're better than humans, they just won't know why. B, why would you give them powers, teach them to use them responsibly, and then erase their memory of being taught to use them responsibly? And third, just don't fucking do that! If you wanted them to grow up among the humans, why didn't you just get older orphans? There's not a shortage. Anyway... They erase these kids' memories and send them back to their home planets for 50 years. That's the plan. Only, hasn't exactly been 50 years yet. So, why is Phoebe here on Earth trying to get Donna's attention? Because shit went wrong. You don't say. 
Remember how I said we'd hear more about the Titan Sea named Sparta later? Well, here it is. Sparta is an orphan from the planet that New Cronus orbits. Remember, the planet that was too primitive to appreciate the civilization being inflicted on it? Well, those ungrateful colonized aliens are about to cause the ancient Titans some more trouble. See, when Sparta gets home, apparently, her amnesia didn't take. And the memories of her upbringing on New Cronus caused her to go mad. So she uses her powers to take over her planet, and then decides, you know what? Fuck those ancient titans. I don't care for the fact that they abandoned me. They're jerks, and they got a bunch of power. I want some of it. Let's declare war on them. So she rallies the forces of her planet, and tries to invade their moon and kill the titans. Oh, and here's a fun thing. You know the name of the planet? You know, the planet that's too primitive and warlike and uncivilized to appreciate ancient Greek culture? Yeah, that planet is called Sinrianak. And when you see it spelled out, it's basically like they just mashed the name Syria, Iran, and Iraq together. Maybe that's coincidence? Sure doesn't feel like one. Anyway. Sparta leads her planet's forces to the moon and attacks the Titans, and it doesn't go so great for Sparta. The Titans basically step on them. So Sparta's beaten, but she still wants more power. She now knows she can't get that power from the Titans, so she decides to go after the Titan seeds. She turns her planet's resources into creating a super race of warlike aliens, like the ones who attacked Donna last issue, and invents something called travel spheres, which can travel across the universe very quickly and are shaped like tiny metal spheres, like the phantasm ball that Danny found earlier. So Sparta and her super alien buddies start hunting down all of her orphan siblings, and every time she kills one of them, she gets more powerful. The ancient titans see this happening, and they're like, shit, we should probably go try to protect our kids from their shitty sister, huh? But one of the first things Sparta did when she started getting juiced up was to set up a blockade around New Cronus. So the Titans weren't going anywhere. At this point, Sparta only has three people left on her two-murder list. Donna and two others. Also, I think every time one of the Titan seeds get murdered, the old Titans get weaker and older, but I'm a little bit iffy on that. I mean, they are getting older and weaker, and the Titan seeds are getting murdered, but there's not a clear line drawn between those two. Anyway, Phoebe decided to go on a suicide mission. She split her soul three ways and went out looking for the remaining Titan seeds. Sparta found and blew up two of those portions of her soul, but the third one made it to Earth, and that's who's chatting with the Titans now. She says that when the other portions of her soul were destroyed, she aged ten centuries, so I guess that's why she aged a thousand years at the end of the last issue. Well, gee, now I feel kind of harsh for saying how old she looked. I mean, for a thousand, she looks great. Doesn't look a day over 400. When she first got to Earth, Phoebe went and had a talk with Wonder Woman, 
because for some reason, I cannot imagine why, but she confused Donna Troy with Wonder Woman and thought that maybe they were the same person. I know, it sounds crazy, but she's a thousand years old. Give the lady a break. Anyway, after that, she found Donna, which brings us more or less up to speed. Cyborg's like, Okay, this is it. She's gonna die any second now. For real. The gang's like, Okay, Joey, hop out of there. Joey speaks through Phoebe and it's like, No, 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 just one more second, man. Phoebe's like, Okay, you gotta protect your two remaining siblings. Here, I managed to steal one of Sparta's phantasm balls. With this and the one that your little dipshit friend is playing with, you should be able to find your sisters and brothers or whatever they are. Help save them. Okay, I'm gonna die now. Joey hops out of Phoebe and like half a second later she dies. Bye, Phoebe! Donna's like, well, this sucks. All my memories just came flooding back to me just in time to make me super sad that this person, who I now remember I'm very close with, died. Bummer. She takes Phoebe's body outside into the night air. As soon as a shaft of moonlight hits the ancient corpse, it somehow dissolves or turns into moonlight. I don't know. It's cool looking, but it makes Donna real sad. She heads back inside. The Titans, and from here on out when I say the Titans, I'm going to mean the new Titans, not the ancient Titans, start getting ready to make their trip to the stars. Donna tries her best to get in touch with her creepy husband, Terry Long, but he's out somewhere, so she just leaves a message on his answering machine telling him that she's going to space. Dick tells Danny Chase that he'd like to talk to him outside the tower for a second. Once they get outside, Danny is like, what gives? We gotta get ready for our big space trip. Dick is like, what do you mean we, Danny? Danny's like, you can't leave me behind. I murdered a bunch of aliens real good. Dick is like, see, it's shit like that, Danny. That's why we're leaving you behind, you little fucking sociopath. You have to at least pretend to be sad after you murder an alien. That's like superhero 101 shit. Danny cuts him off and is like, you know what? Fuck you, I'm out of here. This sucks, you suck, I'm going home. So, Corey and I were actually really split about this depiction of Danny Chase. Corey found it really gratifying to see the comic book start taking the stance that Danny Chase is the little piece of shit that we've seen him as, pretty much since his introduction. But there was something that really didn't sit right with me about it. There was something that just felt kind of gross to me in a way that I couldn't quite articulate. I'm going to try to do my best. See, one of the things I hated about the character Danny Chase is that he just seems like a really cynical fan service character. He always felt like the comic book was saying, hey, we want to get some younger readers. Is this what you like? And gave them a smart-alecky, precocious kid that they could all pretend they were. And Marv Wolfman did a bad job writing him, and so nobody liked him. Then, when it became clear that nobody liked him, and judging from the letters column, it's pretty clear that nobody liked him, then Wolfman turns on the character and is like, Nah, fuck this kid. I never liked him either. But when the writer turns against a character that he created specifically to appeal to the younger generation, it feels kind of like that writer is saying, Fuck the younger generation. 
they suck. I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too much into it. I was already annoyed with this comic book when I got to that part in it. So maybe I'm being unfair. Maybe it's also just a matter of it being weird seeing somebody dislike something that they created. Like, if you know a guy who's an asshole and then you see their mom being like, wow, you're a real piece of shit, you feel a little bad for him. I don't know. Either way, this passage didn't really sit well with me, and Corey really enjoyed it. So, there you have it. A few minutes later, back inside the Titan Tower, the gang decides to split the party. I've never really played Dungeons & Dragons, but it's my understanding that that's always a good idea. Joey, Cyborg, Starfire, and Dick hop into one of the Phantasm Spheres, and Wonder Girl, Raven, and Beast Boy hop into the other. Beast Boy at this point has transformed himself into a jackass, which is a little bit on the nose. Before they leave, Donna gives a little speech that really resonated with both Corey and myself, where Dick asks her if she's doing okay, because she has an awful lot on her plate right now and has just been given a ton more to deal with. And she basically says, yeah, I'm compartmentalizing all that because I've got shit to do. I'll freak out about it when we get home. And then says, gosh, I feel like I'm scheduling my own nervous breakdown. And that's a sentiment that sounds really familiar. I think we've all been in situations like that at some point or another. At least, I think so. Maybe it's just me. But where you're like, I will give myself permission to have feelings about this later, but right now, I'm at work. Or, I've just got too much going on to concentrate on this. I recently had some family drama come up and uh, was texting with my sister about it. And at one point, I texted her, uh, gosh, not looking forward to figuring out how I feel about this. And she texted back, good news, we're from New England, you probably never will. So yeah, interesting self-awareness on Donna's part about processing grief, and uh, I appreciated it. I believe that was also the passage that earned Donna Corey's nod as the issue's Aqualad. Anyway, the two teams of Titans hop into their Phantasm Spheres and go off on their separate quests. At this point, we see the inside of the Phantasm Spheres for the first time. Despite the metal balls being about, I don't know, I'd say four inches in diameter tops on the outside, inside they are very spacious, and Coriander makes a Doctor Who reference. She says the only time she's seen something like this before was on the planet TARDIS. A Doctor Who reference that even I understand, never having seen a single episode of the show. The old version of the show used to come on PBS when I was a kid, but the Thurman music in the opening credits really creeped me out. It was one of a few different theme songs on PBS that I was like, ah, I can't watch this, too scary. The other one was a Canadian children's show called Read All About It, which, uh, I don't know, there was something about it. Just really spooked me. Anyway, the interior shots of the Phantasm Balls are really interesting. It's colored as though it's shot through, like, a red gel on a lens, so, like, everything has a reddish or pinkish hue to it. Uh, the walls of it are tan. It looks very alien. It looks very alien biotechnology. Also, the fact that all of the walls are rounded and there's, like, 
bumps coming off of them that have smaller red circles in the middle make it look like what I described as an alien boob factory. And I think that's an interesting piece of uh, world building. So Sparta may be a jerk, but they know how to manufacture alien boobs on her planet. So good for them. The alien boob factories are apparently pre-programmed to hone in on a Titan seed. So once they clear the Earth's atmosphere, they head off in separate directions, each going after their own respective targets. The alien boob factory that Gar and Donna and Raven are riding around in ends up landing on a arid desert planet. It's very reminiscent of Dune, and in fact, Beast Boy makes a Dune reference. The alien boob factory speeds towards the one person who is on the planet's surface. It is a lone figure wearing a really cool-looking, like, bulky, brown, half-robe, half-snowsuit outfit that has a robotic visor over the front. It looks like somebody cosplaying as a tardigrade, kind of, but maybe like a 90s tardigrade, because there are a bunch of little pouches all over his outfit, like he was in a 90s comic book. It is a very solid look. Kind of part Rom, part Jawa, and part the kid from A Snowy Day. The Titans are zooming up on this person, but before they get there, a different phantasm ball appears. Is it the other Titans? Nope. It's a bunch of those murderous alien jerks. The Titans are about to pop out and start murdering aliens, but Raven is suddenly like, no, 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 we need to stay inside the ship. The gang listens to Raven, and a few seconds later, they're pretty glad that they did, because the alien jerks all just start disintegrating. It turns out that the air on the planet's surface is made out of acid, and their bodies cannot handle it. That's why the guy on the surface is wearing his tardigrade snowsuit. And apparently, he sensed that the Titans were cool, despite Beast Boy's presence, and so he reached out to Raven and was like, Hey, you got empathic powers. Tell your buddies to stay inside for a second, okay? Once all the evil aliens have melted or whatever, Raven and the tardigrade enthusiasts start vibing friendship at each other just as hard as they can. Once they've established that they're all good guys in those parts, at least from their perspective, the stranger reaches out and establishes a telepathic connection with Donna. Turns out, he's a titan seed just like her. It's her old buddy from New Cronus, Xanthi. Donna is able to somehow cure Xanthi's old titan-induced amnesia, and suddenly he remembers growing up on New Cronus. He hops into the alien boob factory, and they have saved their first titan seed. Hooray! And extra hooray, because Xanthi is a goddamn delight. He is an adorable, kind of lumpy alien who is covered in soft white fur, and if anything happens to him, I'm going to throw a fucking fit, because he is the best part of this book by a mile. Now that his memory is restored, Xanthi has fond memories of Donna, who he calls Troy, and he explains to his old friend that everyone else on this desert planet lives inside the planet, 
but because of his superpowers that the old Titans gave him, he is able to survive on the surface, so he goes up there to harvest various chemicals and acids that the rest of the inhabitants of the planet need to live. Despite the fact that they rely on Xanthi for their survival, the planet's subterranean population really shuns Xanthi and treats him like a freak and an outsider, which is fucking bullshit. Also, does kind of raise the question, what did they do to survive before Xanthi? And what are they going to do after he leaves? Because once Donna telepathically explains the situation to him, Xanthi agrees to help the new Titans help the old Titans. And off they go. Incidentally, Xanthi was my choice for this issue's Aqualad. I fucking love Xanthi. Now, let's check in with how the other Titans are doing in their alien boob factory. Turns out, how they're doing is not so great. The last shot of the comic is a full-page spread of Dick, Victor, Coriander, and Joey emerging from their alien boob factory and having about a billion alien guns pointed at them. Cyborg is like, Oh, I can't believe I thought this would be easy. Yeah, no shit, I can't believe you thought that either. Dumbass. What part of flying an alien boob factory halfway across the galaxy and then convincing a stranger to go to war against another planet to help a bunch of super-powered ancient Greeks that that first stranger doesn't remember kidnapped them and then erased their memories? Sounds easy. Fucking cyborg. That's another reason why he was this issue's beast boy. And there you have New Titans number 50. As I said, it was a book that Corey liked a lot better than I did. Um, I'm really sorry that I raised that conversation, not just because of, you know, it making a bunch of extra work for me, but because it was a pretty good talk, and uh, it's not often we have that kind of Siskel and Ebert disagreement about the quality of a comic like that. Um, going over it again, I still wasn't that crazy about it. The art is very good, but honestly, unlike issue 50, I don't feel like it necessarily represents a big upgrade from the also fantastic art of Eduardo Barreto and Romeo Tangal. It's very good, but for the most part, the art in the last 40 issues or so has also been very good. Mostly, though, the colonialist bullshit of the old Titans, coupled with just the dense and massive amount of exposition in this story and the overall pacing of it made it kind of a slog. I feel like there were ways that they could have just cut down on some of the unnecessary details in it and get the exposition down to a more manageable level that I found myself really frustrated that they weren't doing that. It seemed to me as though Wolfman had some ideas he wanted to put in, Perez had some ideas he wanted to put in, and they just decided to kind of go with all of them, and it was a bit much. So there you got my thoughts on the issue. As for the minutiae, I feel like we covered a lot of it when we were going through the comic, but 
in case anybody is filling out a spreadsheet with this shit, uh, which I can't imagine anybody is, but hell, I don't know. Um, let's see. Uh, president of the Drama Club. I believe we both had Sparta. Uh, she just did a lot of gesturing at the sky and was generally a pretty dramatic dictator, I felt like. For the Bozone, I had Beast Boy calling Danny Chase Danny Boy Cheese Face. Looking at Corey's notes, I think he had the same thing. There didn't appear to be any Natty Bees in this issue. It was a weird choice of phrasing on Beast Boy's part. I think he was going for, like, pizza face, but trying to make it sound like Chase. But it just made him sound like a Dick Tracy villain. As I mentioned, I had Cyborg as my Beast Boy and Xanthi as my Aqualad. Corey had Donna as his Aqualad and Danny Chase as his Beast Boy which I think is fair. For timestamps, we had the Roger Rabbit reference, which I mentioned, and Donna leaving a message on Terry Long's answering machine slash clock radio, which seemed like a very late 80s thing to have. Uh, the Sylvester Stallone movie that this reminded me of was The Expendables, because it just has too much of everything and is somehow less than the sum of its parts. For the battle of the band names, my suggestion was A Galaxy Without Danny, which I thought was probably like a late 90s alternative band in the vein of Better Than Ezra or Fountains of Wayne, you know, stuff like that. A Galaxy Without Danny. But ultimately, we decided to go with Corey's suggestion of a gossamer wall of glittering light, which sounds like it's probably some kind of like a art school EDM type of thing. So I will put that up on the Twitter poll. And there you have it. I'm sorry this episode ended up turning out this way. I hope you were able to enjoy it on its own terms. And uh, we'll be back next week with an episode that I promise I will not erase before posting. Thanks so much for bearing with me on this. If you'd like to get into touch with us, we can be reached at Tighten Up the Defense, P.O. Box 20311, Portland, Oregon 97294, or, as this is the future, we can be contacted via electronic mail at ttwasteland at gmail.com. We're also up on various forms of social media. Twitter is where you will find the Battle of the Band Names poll. And if you can't find us there, we'll of course be inside your heart. We always have been. What am I going to be doing in there this week? Feeling grateful and backing up my hard drive every 20 seconds. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye!
With interesting people, there's a mystery to be solved. An adventure is unfolding, so why not get involved? Come on, read all about it. Yeah, still terrifying.